You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome again to Roswell Presbyterian Church. We are so glad that you are worshiping with us today. I want you to know that in a couple weeks, the session will be approving a budget, and we still need to hear from a number of you about your pledges, which you plan to give financially to the mission and ministry of Roswell Presbyterian Church in 2021. If you haven't gotten that in, you can submit that on the church website at roswellpress.org forward slash give. You can email it into Carmen or even email it into me, and we'll make sure that gets counted so we can accurately and wisely plan for our ministry this year. Well, today we continue our sermon series looking at the life of Moses, certain promises for uncertain times. And last week we saw Moses relying on people's help long before he could ever ask for help, before he could ever help himself. This is a certainty that none of us are here unless somebody helped us get here. It's true, though, Moses was raised by Pharaoh's daughter in the palace in Pharaoh's household. Until one day he has to flee Egypt, and he ends up in Midian. And he marries a woman, and he ends up doing what no man should do. He goes and works for his father-in-law, and he tends his father-in-law's flocks. And our scripture passage takes up Moses' story then. Let us... Listen for the word of the Lord, Exodus 3, verses 1 through 12. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. And he looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you by your spirit might speak a word that only you can speak. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I have heard it said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. We believe in an interrupting God. Today's passage tells the story of Moses' call. He has been raised in Pharaoh's household and and is now an adult, probably around 40 years old. He's on a walk one day. He sees an Egyptian abusing a fellow Israelite. This is when he was a man having grown up in Pharaoh's household. Moses steps in to intervene and he kills the Egyptian. Soon after, word spreads about these events and Moses must flee Egypt. After arriving in Midian, Moses ends up working for his father-in-law, Jethro. He becomes a shepherd, taking care of Jethro's flocks. And I imagine Moses has a regular routine. He gets up early in the morning. He leads the flock to food and water. He keeps them from wandering off. He directs them to fresh pastures and he fights off any threats. As a shepherd, Moses knows what his job is. He has a daily agenda. He has a a regular routine. He has a schedule and then God interrupts. Has God ever (laughs) interrupted your plans? I remember how I first fell into my first job in ministry. And let me tell you, it was an interruption. See, I was a business major in college. And while I was not the most academic of students at the time, I had done my best to position myself for the best job in business coming out of school. That year, I was the director of finance and budget The associated students at the University of Washington was responsible for about a $2 million budget. That summer I had an internship working for the Boeing company, working in international business. I had my plans all set. I saw the path before me. I knew where I was going. (laughs) Then what happens? God interrupts. Every Tuesday night there in college, there was a worship service at University Presbyterian Church. At 9 p.m., about 1,000 college students would gather. A majority of them were girls, and so there were certain benefits to cultivating a rich spiritual life. (laughs) It was the spring quarter. People were at that point in the year where they were beginning to make plans for the following year. When you walked into the service, one of the student ushers would give you a bulletin. It had the order of service on it. And then on the back, it had certain announcements. That night, during the singing part of the service, and I'll be honest, it was out of boredom, I looked down and my eye caught the announcement. Looking for next year's ministry interns. Tonight is the last night to apply. All of a sudden, I felt the heavens part. God's light shone down. 
My burning bulletin was not consumed. It was speaking to me. I knew what I had to do. I was supposed to apply to be a ministry intern the following year. I turned to my buddy Greg, who was sitting next to me. I said, hey, man, I'm supposed to apply to be an intern. Where can I get an application? He looked at me quizzically as a sensitive ministry intern that he was that year and said, shut up, dude. (laughs) You see, he knew me too well, and he knew there was no way I was serious. But I said, dude, I'm serious. I'm supposed to apply. And he looks at me and says, are you serious? I said, for the third time, yes, I'm serious. So he goes and finds the director. The director says, well, applications are due tonight. But if you have it on my desk by 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, I will accept it. And it was the only all-nighter I pulled all of college. I got that internship and it changed everything. This is what happens when God interrupts. You have a plan set before you. You know the directions you have to take. The roadmap of your life is set and then God interrupts. And Moses is walking along with his flocks and the text reads, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. Every great suspense movie is built on a moment like this. The protagonist hears footsteps in the attic, and he thinks, I wonder what's up there. And the audience is like, just keep on playing Scrabble. Don't go in the attic. And of course he goes in the attic. And the terror begins. Or a woman is in bed and she hears a disembodied voice whisper her name. Clarice. And you're like, go back to sleep, Clarice. Don't get up. Close your eyes. Don't listen. But you know what's going to happen, of course. They are in for an interruption. And Moses is just walking along, minding his own business, tending his father-in-law's flocks, keeping to himself, not bothering anyone. And then he sees a bush on fire that was not consumed. And we're thinking, oh no, Don't do it. This is going to change everything. Your life is so peaceful and idyllic. It's true, though. When Moses turns aside, his life is irrevocably changed, and so is the history of the world. The fires of history are often lit by the tiniest of matches. (laughs) This genre of this kind of story in the Bible is called a call story. You see them all over scripture. The patriarch and matriarch of the Hebrew people, Abraham and Sarah. The leaders of the Israelites, Joshua and Deborah. You'll see the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel are all called like this. They're called. And today we read about Moses' calling. And there are six common features to a call story in the Bible. The first is what scholars or commentators call a theophany. This is when God presents God's self to whomever God is speaking to. 
a theophany. Second, you have an introduction. Here in our text, God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. See, many of us forget that monotheism was still to be invented. At the time, people believed in all sorts of gods. And so, of course, a god had to tell you who God was. Tell us who you are. And then third, there's a divine commission. God says, here is what I want you to do. These are key. God becomes visible. God makes God's introduction. And then God commands. But here's where a call story gets interesting. Rarely in Scripture does somebody who is called ever say, oh, here I am, absolutely. Sign me up. I'm ready for this. Whatever you got, let's do this. This is not a Nike ad, just do it. It almost never happens. Usually the person objects to the call. They offer excuses. They offer alternatives. They begin to negotiate. They say, I think you've got the wrong guy. And with Moses, it's no different. Moses offers the fourth feature of a call story. He offers an objection. In verse 11, Moses says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses says, who do you think I am? I barely escaped from Egypt with my life intact. Who do you think I am? I'm persona non grata in Egypt. What's interesting here, I think, is the deep irony at the heart of Moses' objection to God's call in his life. In fact, beyond our passage, Moses offers eight reasons why he can't follow God's call. He says, who do you think I am? Moses will go on to say, who will tell them who sent me? Who will I tell them sent me? And then he'll say, what if they don't believe me? His objections hit their apex when he says, I'm not very good with words. In Exodus 4.11, listen to this. He says, oh my Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Here's one of the great ironies of Moses. Moses says, I can barely talk. I'm inarticulate. How will I communicate with Pharaoh and the people? I'm not your guy. And then you can see God kind of laugh. <laughs> oh, really? Inarticulate, huh? We've just spent two chapters listening to you object why you can't do this. You seem to be quite articulate, in fact, speaking to the burning bush that's not consumed. You seem to be able to come up with all sorts of excuses why you can't go. You seem to be quite articulate explaining how inarticulate you are. <laughs> See, I believe when God often calls us to do something, it often brings out hidden gifts and skills that we didn't realize we had. After graduation, I worked for a couple years and finally went to seminary. The whole time I thought I would go on to study in a doctoral program or I would go back into business, ministry was not for me. But then a couple of months before graduation, when I really didn't know what my next step was, I got a phone call out of the blue from a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia. Scott Weimer gave me a two-hour sales pitch on the virtues of Georgia and his church. 
At the end of our conversation, he said, can you meet me for lunch this Friday in New York City? I happened to be up that way, and I said, of course. So we met that Friday, and we went to a Mexican restaurant around the corner on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Now, you need to know that at this point in my life, I had been a vegetarian for a number of years. So I order a veggie quesadilla, and Scott orders a chicken quesadilla. And we are having just this great conversation, and I want to keep it going. We are, we are feeling the, the spirit. The mojo is going, and our food comes. And I just keep on talking and talking, and Scott eats his quesadilla. And just as Scott finishes his quesadilla, I figure it's about time that I be quiet and let him talk. And so I bite into my food. And in the middle of my quesadilla, it's full of chicken. Now, I hadn't tasted chicken in years. And I'm sitting there with the quesadilla in my mouth, cost-benefiting this thing out. I see what's happened. Our quesadillas got switched by the server. Do I object? Do I send it back? This man's from Georgia. How will he look on a man who's a vegetarian? So I decide that I must grin and bear it. <laughs> Sometimes you have to go through a little unpleasantness to get where God is calling you. It may not be pretty or enjoyable, but it's required. And sitting there having to be quiet and grin and bear it was great practice for the next 15 years of my life. See, Moses' supposed ineloquence will serve him well. It will keep him humble. God will work through it to lead the people out of slavery. This is what happens when God interrupts. Here's one of the surprising aspects of what happens when God interrupts. God doesn't call Moses out of the mess. He, in fact, calls him to it. And here's the fifth and sixth components of a call story. Fifth, you have reassurance. And sixth, you're given a sign. In our passage, God says, I will be with you. God doesn't often call us out of the trials and tribulations of our lives. God calls us to them. And then God promises to go with us in the midst of them. This is the sign that Moses is given, I will go with you. And God looks at Moses and promises to go with him. This is his sign. And then, and then he says, I'm going to make you a promise. He says, and this shall be the sign for you. That it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. See, God has reassured him, I will go with you. And then he says, I will give you a sign that one day you will come back and worship on this mountain. Now, if you're reading closely, you can see the problem with this. The sign is only going to be given after he's gone back to Egypt after he's challenged the Pharaoh, after he's called the plagues down on the people, after he's led the people through the Red Sea, after he's taken them through starvation and thirst through the wilderness, only after he's led them out of Egypt 
Into the wilderness will he come back to this mountain. The sign is only given long after the promise of the sign. Only then will he receive the sign that he's on the right path. I've often heard it said, begin with the end in mind. As I come up on my fourth anniversary here at the end of January, I've reflected on this story several times, but I think about it all the time and it means so much to me. Four years ago when I was meeting with RPC's search team and our conversations were getting very serious, I began to have doubts about my call. I began to ask, how could I possibly follow the towering giants who have filled this pulpit over the years? What if I don't fit in? What if they don't like me? I was stressing out, and I remember I pulled up behind a car behind Georgia Tech. And I stopped behind this car that was stopped at a stoplight. And I saw on the back of their window shield, they had a Presbyterian Church USA bumper sticker. It's unique, and you can't miss it if you see it. And at the bottom of these bumper stickers that they hand out, they let churches print the name of the individual church on the bumper sticker. And so as I pull up behind it, I see it says, Roswell Presbyterian Church. I said, are you kidding me? But then right below it was another bumper sticker. And it read C-A-S-H. And we all know this is the universal sign for one of the greatest singers of all time, Johnny Cash. And I thought to myself, if there is only one Johnny Cash fan at Roswell Presbyterian Church, I'll be okay. And if you're watching online today, I knew that many people would not believe this story, so I took a picture of those bumper stickers, and they are on your screen right now. The bumper sticker was my little burning bush for God's interruption. Friends, what are your burning bushes? Where is God interrupting your life? How is God offering you signs and reassurance to walk boldly and faithfully into the future that you are called to? They're there if you look for them. Because in a world of uncertainty, there is One certainty, God interrupts. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you promised to walk with us in the uncertainties of our lives. We pray that we might have the eyes to see, the ears to hear, your reassurance, and the faith to trust in your signs, even those signs that don't come until much later in the future. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.